So, my family and I, this past week, it's school vacation, we felt very led by the Holy Spirit to visit a dog breeder up in New Hampshire. <laughs> it was inspired by God. We knew we just had to do whatever he says. When God says, go get a puppy, then you're supposed to go get a puppy. So we went and put a deposit on a puppy. We have to now wait a month or two, and the puppy will come to us. But it was clearly in God's will. And so while we were there following God's will for our lives, we did a little traveling, and we stopped in at a bookstore. And I found a fascinating book. And I thought it tied in exactly with what I wanted to open God's word to say. So I thought I would share the title of this book with you. I actually recommend it. It's a very interesting book. The parts that I got through um, fascinated me. They really did. And so I put on reserve at the library. I like to read books at the library first to see if it's one I want on my shelf because we read too much to buy everything you ever might think you might want to read. And then you get halfway through it and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have spent that money. So support your local library. Um, we actually personally, with late fines, support our local library. So I'm just <laughs> saying, like, Rainham really owes us. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, the book was called Tools of the Titans, and it's a compilation by Tim Ferriss, who has this blog where he interviews people, a podcast where he interviews people. And the, title, the subtitle of Tools of the Titans was Tactics, Routines, and Habits of Billionaires and World-Class Performers. All right, so tactics, strategies, their routines, habits of life uh, by billionaires and world-class performers. So you flip open to a chapter, and it's only a couple of pages, and it records excerpts of his interview with, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Brene Brown or any number of people on any spectrum, athletes, professional people, people who have been very successful in life and what they do, and ask them things like, what's been most important to you? What has worked? And get comments on things like, well, I sleep. I get more sleep, and I feel that helps me to think. And uh, another one, eats a certain way or exercises a certain way. Um, Tony Robbins has this way of priming his day, he calls it. And I read through that a couple of pages on his thoughts. Uh, he gets up, and he takes a cold shower, and then he goes and like, has some breathing exercises and like, focuses and, centers, and gives him energy and just runs for the rest of his day. And, and that works for him. And you think, hmm. Maybe if these things worked for those people, they might work for me too. What if I changed my diet? Would I become a world-class performer? What if I changed my daily rhythms, my routines, my tactics? Maybe what I'm eating, how much I'm sleeping, what I'm thinking about, the thoughts that are in my mind, my behaviors are actually part of what's contributing to my lack of movement in life or to some of the problems. And the reason that's so fascinating to me, and I think to many people, is because we want that for ourselves too. We want to be a world-class performer in our field. We want to be a world-class parent, a world-class Christian for God. We want to succeed and to thrive, and somehow we feel like, well, what does that look like? And I think the world wants that too. But a lot of times... If you were to come to someone who's looking for advice on how to live and say, let's read the Bible, the impression they might have is, well, that's a list of the things I'm not supposed to do. Commands of God, don't do this, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. 
We're reading through the Old Testament. Some of us here have said we want to read through the entire Bible. So we're kind of preaching through it. I'm encouraging anyone who wants here on your own when you get up in the morning with that cup of coffee or at night before bed, just read through it together. How beautiful to have read every word collected in this book and know the God that loves you even better. But what struck me is comparing those two things, tools of the titans and the Bible, is that this one's going to fly off the shelf at the bookstore, and this one's going to sit dusty on our shelves at home. And that's sad, because actually these are the tools of the titan. These are the habits and the strategies and the routines and the practices that make anyone truly successful at what matters. Not necessarily another dollar in your account, but being who God has designed you to be and impacting the world with his love and Christ. So this is that book. But people don't look at it that way. And then I thought, well, we're in Deuteronomy right now. We're finishing up reading through that. And Michaela did such a good job last week. She was talking about how this love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind is this central thing and impacts our families and our community. And I thought we should take a morning just to love this book. Just to love together the laws and commands of God. Do you know why? Because they are not telling you everything you're doing wrong just so that you can crumple in a ball. Feel guilty about your life and carry shame. Laws of God, the commands of God, the word of God is for our good so that we may see the difference between right and wrong, so that we may see our need for him and come to Jesus and say, oh, what if I could live your life? Please live your life through me. The law of God is beautiful. The commands of God are precious. They're a treasure. And when they show us our own need, the grace of God in Christ is the most beautiful thing you'll ever experience. And so I don't want us to rush through the laws in the Old Testament saying, oh, well, that's a thing for another time, another time. What did God say? Who is God? How does that show us the need for grace? And so I thought I would just start by saying a few words, quoting a few words from not Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually, and not Tony Robbins, actually, and not Brene Brown, actually, but from the psalmist, from Psalm 119. This whole chapter, one of the longest, I think, if not the longest chapter in the Bible, all about the word of God, loving those words that come from the mouth of God, because by them we will really live. I love the word that Ellen used before, free. These words show paths to life, paths of freedom. And the commands of God are actually commands to live life, to live it to its fullest. He commands us to love. His commands lead us to being blessed. Like that's what he's about when he speaks. Not just to show us how small or how much of failures we are. That's not what we get from God. Think of the psalmist Take these words and think if this is how you would describe the laws of God. 
Starting, I guess, in uh, verse 159 is a good section, then all the way through the next. Psalm 119, 159. The songwriter says, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. That's a great statement. The sum, the total, the conclusion, the result, the equals is, is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word, like one who finds great spoil, like treasure. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do. Your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. So let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before me. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. And I long for your salvation, O law, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. So seek me. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Even when I'm lost, I don't forget. Seek me out, God. Doesn't this remind us of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. You know, he pursues the one. He leads us in care. So doesn't this remind us of Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who is, um, blessed is the man who, oh, I'm not going to misquote it. I can't. Thank you. No, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. The beginning is where he's a tree planted by streams of water. What's the first couple of sentences there? Psalm 1, blessed is the man. No, you're absolutely right. My bad. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, this is the part I was remembering, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's delighting in the don'ts. Don't do that, don't do that. But it's not that way. The law is the carefuls. Careful, careful. You might not see it, but right there is danger. Careful, careful, stay here so I can lead you through the danger, through the valley of the shadow of death. I have good things for you. I have things like freedom and life and joy for you. But they're going to be hard to get to if you step on every landmine and fall in every muddy puddle along the road. But you know what? If you do, that's going to be okay because I'm a shepherd. I'm going to seek you out and take you. But I love your law. This is throughout the Psalms. This is throughout Scripture. This is throughout the Old Covenant, especially with Moses. He's just given tons of laws. Now, when Moses gave his laws, starting with the Ten Commandments, then the rabbinical law expanded to the six or 700 laws that are represented in it, do you think that the Israelites loved every law? 
All right, it's that time of the year again. Got to make a pilgrimage. So lock up the house. Everybody, we're going. Bring the whole family, the donkeys and everything. We're going. Time for another festival. Do you think they loved it when they looked at the little bit they had and were like, God, how are we going to make it? And then cut out 10% of it and gave it to the temple. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on the condition of their heart. But these laws were mandated in order to bless in order to show what that narrow path looks like in a world where we don't know best, but God does. The laws were for their good, to lead them to a promised land, to give them life. But we don't love laws. I want a show of hands. How many people love that speed limit sign? All right, none. Great, truthful. I appreciate your honesty. How many people love your taxes? Some people do. Actually, I was talking to Dan. Some people, are, they do love taxes. But no, that's not what I mean. Do you love being forced to pay them? Students who are in school, do you love your assignments? I'm so thankful for that 20-page paper I need to come up with by, oh, it's tomorrow already. Oh, OK. <laughs> right? Um, when we're disciplined, it never feels like someone has it for our good. It feels like we've done something wrong. We're being slapped on the wrist. We weren't good enough. We didn't measure up. And so we take the law and we become guilty. We, we like own our guilt. And I think that that should lead us to grace, but in a way, it's the total wrong way to look at the law. Because if you think of it that way, you can never, when the policeman pulls you over, can't be like, thank you so much. I love that you're enforcing this law and taking $200 out of my bank account. I appreciate you for bringing law and order to this street. And I know I was in the wrong, but I should have been in the right. No, we're like, I wasn't going that fast. And then we go to court, we fight the ticket, even though we were going too fast, but it wasn't as fast as he said it was. So we should get off. We shouldn't have to pay a cent because we had some place to be. We love to rebel. And that's one of these lessons that we see in the Old Testament again and again. And if you've been looking in the mirror for your lifetime, you see it in the mirror again and again. Don't nobody tell me what to do. You can suggest it, and then I can think about it so it can be my decision, and then we've got a chance. But the minute someone comes to you eye to eye and says, do this, we cross the arms, and the posture of the heart and the mind turn around. I'm asking you to uncross your arms when it comes to the love of God in his law, in his commands. They're not have-tos. They're coulds. Don't go to a billionaire to find out how to live your life. What if their billions are built on the backs of five broken marriages? Who's winning? Who's losing? What's real life? What's real freedom? We want that. And it's not the almighty dollar. It's not the next promotion. It's whatever God says it is. And it comes from his truth. So we listen to God. He speaks to us. He doesn't just speak through the Bible. He speaks today through the Holy Spirit just as much as ever. So just ask him. But I want us to go to his tools before we turn to the world's tools. Because everyone else is just a person, too, and they're figuring it out as they go. God built persons. He knows how we're supposed to go.
and it will be for our good. So can you look at a few verses with me in Deuteronomy, and then we'll go forward and see Jesus emphasizing this point. But I just want you to know that this is not my opinion. Deuteronomy, end of chapter 5, leading into what Michaela brought to us last week in Deuteronomy 6. So Deuteronomy 5, I guess we'll start in verse 28. Know that God's heart has always been to love the people that he created and to bless them. And to that effect, he gives them the A and the B. He gives them the black and the white. He gives them the law. He gives them righteousness and wickedness so that they may live long in the land that he's called them to and may be blessed and a blessing to the nations. See God's word to you in that. Deuteronomy 5, 28, Moses says, And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you, and they are right in all that they have spoken. And here God says, a dream. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me. And to keep all my commandments so that I might go well with them and with their descendants forever. That's God's heart. And he just gave the Ten Commandments. And they're like, yep, good advice. Tools of the Titans. Oh, if you could just hold that thought, Israel, instead of getting distracted by every shiny thing that just wants to ruin you, instead of owning and accepting every fear and false accusation that wants to twist how you think, instead of, couldn't you just walk this way because it's good? You'd be blessed forever, and all of your descendants would, because it's the safe way. It's God's way. It's a good way. So go and say to them, verse 30, return to your tents. But you, Moses, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment, all the statutes, all the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving you to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may live, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. There's God's heart. And yet when we look at the Bible and we say, well, this is what was in one age, this is what's in another age, this is what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'm supposed to do, it just becomes this like onerous overwhelming, clinging, weighty, guilt-inspiring things to make us know how we're never going to be good enough. That's not why God gave it. That does happen when we look at the law. But that's not God's heart. God is not looking to shame us into obedience. He's looking to help it go well that we may live 
So he continues and said, Moses continues and said, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. This is a long-term commitment. All the days of your life. And that your days may be long, that you may live longer because of it. Hear, therefore, Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall like rest in your heart. I love that because he doesn't say they shall rest in your mind. They're not information. They're treasure. They're beautiful treasure from God. Who is he? What does it look like to draw close to him? What things will I do that will prove to be my destruction? What things will I do that will prove to be my blessing and his blessing? So let his laws be a matter of love. Love, Lord God. Let all these commandments rest in your heart. And teach them diligently to your children. Flip a little bit further on in Deuteronomy to chapter 32. It's towards the end. I want to read a passage here and then one other and let the full sermon. This is a, Moses, uh, a sermon by Moses. Hopefully you're aware. This book, he's reviewing everything that's happened in Israel and he's teaching one kind of, it's his life work. All the things that God has said, what it means, and he's giving, he's bequeathing it to Joshua and the Israelites because they're going to go into the promised land. He doesn't want them to forget because God said so much to them during this time period. Don't lose it. Don't forget it. You want it to go well. We want to bless God. We want him to bless us. Remember what he said. So Deuteronomy 32. Yeah, right there, 44. That's where we need to start. Deuteronomy 32, 44. This is one of my favorite verses in this entire book. There's one that comes after that's just like 1 and 1a. One They're both amazing, but we'll get there in a second. Um, it's in verse 47, but let's start at verse 44. So Moses came, and he recited all the words of this song in the hearing of all the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words, right? All these words, all Old Testament, all the Torah, the whole Pentateuch, just speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart. Take it to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Listen. For it is no empty word to you, but your very life. The word of God is no empty word to you. It's your very life. The instructions and the help and the commands and laws of God are no empty word to you. They're your very life. It's your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. This is no empty word to you. It's your very life. It should be what you think about when you're walking, what you talk about with your children at home, when you rise, when you sit, when you come in, when you go out on the doorposts of your house. And these words of God should be things that you love with all of your heart and with all of your soul 
with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Our relationship to God should be one of the grateful, the adoring, the overwhelmingly fortunate and blessed. Because he's willing to speak a word to us, the designer of life, that we could really live. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. We need to treasure these things, not at all turn away from them. Deuteronomy 30, back up just two chapters. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, part of the same sermon. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. I just kind of put them out there for us to see what is what. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Here's the key part right here. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, what's it say? Choose life. Therefore, choose life from the one who made it, from the one who can restore it, from the one who has planned it, from the one who gives it, from God. Choose life. God's law, God's word is life. But there's a problem because we don't keep the law. Who here is perfect? Right. In Christ only. The law presents the dilemma. I really want to be blessed. That sounds great. What do I have to do? Be perfect as God is perfect. So it's not going to happen. Okay, well, that was a nice dream. Ain't going to happen. It really is. That, that's, that's the problem. That's where Christ is the only answer. Turn over with me to Romans. Romans chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. We'd all love being billionaires. But what would it take? And what if we can't do it? And what if it's never going to happen? We'd all love to be perfect. Love to be the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect child of God, the perfect citizen. But when we fall short, it almost defeats the whole purpose. We feel like, well, well, then now what? Paul writes about this, and then Jesus provides the answer. Romans 7 Verse 4, 
Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit, be fruitful, be alive for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death, but now we're released from the law, that freedom, having died to that which held us captive. So we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. That's the most exciting thing ever, to really be alive and really feel it. Because that's what people are going to buy that book off the bookshelf for, to really feel alive and to really feel like life works and that they're not just failing and that they're not never going to get where they hope to be. And that where they are now is not where they're condemned to stay. That's really what they want. And that's what Jesus does. Like nothing else can. It's a new life. So verse 7, so then what shall we say? That the law is sin? So we're not going to read any of God's. We don't want laws. No, we just want freedom. We want freedom to do whatever we want. No, danger, danger. God designed us. He knows the law was intended for good, but it can't help us keep it. There's no help in it. It's just truth. What should we say then, verse 7, that the law is sin? No. If it hadn't been for the law, I would never have known sin. I wouldn't have known what it is to covet unless God said, don't be jealous over what everybody else has. Do you realize just that one commandment is like the definition of our entire culture? It's just about being jealous about what everybody else has. That's why we have the cars we have, even though we don't want to say so. That's why we live in the neighborhoods and the homes that we have, even though we don't want to admit it or might not even realize it. That's why we wear the clothes. We're just, we like something that someone else has, and we magnetically kind of go to it. We adopt it. We gravitate towards it. So how about if we could just know that we should opt out of that? Because it's not going to be for our good. Because the more stuff we have, the more we're going to have to work to make more money to supply the stuff, and the more fear we're going to have to protect the really special stuff that we just spent a lot of money for. All of a sudden, our whole life is about supporting the stuff we've got and protecting the stuff we've got. That's not freedom. If anyone lost their job, anyone out here, myself included, all lost our income, we'd probably be in trouble pretty shortly. So don't you think that's probably putting pressure on us to not lose that job? To make sure we do what it takes and to work, to support like, be careful. God's law would say, don't covet. Is intended to set us free from the pressure of feeling tied to things that don't matter and to running so, so fast and far over things that aren't going to give any reward, just temporary. It's helpful. I love that about God, that he'd be like, oh, careful, coveting, dead end. Thank you, God. Thank you. I love that precept. It sets me free <laughs> from a rat race sort of life where I don't ever live to be the person that God wanted me to be. And it can do the same to you because we get sucked up. So we remember God's law and we love it and we read it because it's life. It's life in the spirit. Verse 8, continuing. Sin, but sin, seizing an opportunity through that commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. They don't know what's what until you know what's what. Like, oh. And you get it. The law does that. It opens our eyes. He says, I once was alive, kind of like thought I was alive. I was like, fine, but just because I really didn't know better, almost ignorant. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, spring, sing, ah, English, 
When the commandment came, sin came alive. And I'm like, I'm dead. I died. So the very commandment that promised life proved to be death because sin seized an opportunity and deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy. The commandment's holy and it's righteous and it's good. But the minute that we start feeling like we have to keep it all the time and perfectly, the minute that our pride tells us we can be a good person and we can know it all and we can do it all, we're dead. Because no one can except Christ. Except Christ. Except Christ. You may think, well, okay, so we've got all the laws of God in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came and said, I'm taking care of that for you, so no worries. You're welcome. Go and be a Mary. Jesus actually gave his own command, didn't he? And he took and built upon and clarified and solidified everything that always was, but it's in Luke 10 that we see his command. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, I challenge you to love this command with everything you've got and to live it out because it is a command that we have to follow because it's the road to blessing and life and freedom. And if we don't embrace it, we're just going to fall into every same trap that everyone always ever has. And Jesus wants more than that. He wants us to live and have life abundantly and if, to be set free, to be truly, truly free from things that we're afraid of and for things that we want more than God. And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6. And he makes it our command, which I hope you love, because it is good. Behold, verse 25, sorry, Luke 10, verse 25, Luke 10, 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, Yes. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Yes, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, who we're studying in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, all these chapters here, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, an unclean person, a heretic by the Jews' standards of the day, as he journeyed, he came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, so you go and do likewise. Jesus' commands aren't about how we can make ourselves holy. The old covenant law was defining what holiness is. And Jesus said, my blood will take care of that. Your command is to live it out and bless others. Because Abraham's promise back in Genesis 12 was, I will bless you and your children and your children's children so that you may be a blessing to the world. Jesus comes. He says, okay, let's put that guilt stuff away. Let's put that shame stuff away. The comparison to where you are and if you're only a better person, if you hadn't said that, he said, let me take care of the penalties. Go and live as God would want and love people. You can be free to live and to love, and I'll bless what you do. That's God's will. It's who we are. So that's a commandment that I want. I want to be commanded. You have to love your wife and kids who are amazing. All right, all right, all right. I see where this is going. You have to love doing the things that I've built you to do and will be blessed by me. Okay, okay, okay. But you have to, have to love those people who are against you, who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who are different than you, and who are in need. Because that's how God loves you. So you want to be a child of God? Live with that compassion. So who are the people that are not like us? Well, we could say people of different politics, people of different genders, people of different ethnicities. Measure it however you want, the different. Would you love them? Would you put them on your donkey? Pay for them to be cared for? If so, then you're showing that you're following Christ's command. But that's where it gets hard. We come to Jesus and say, Jesus, how can we do this? And that's actually what brings us to this meal. I wish it was a meal. It used to be a meal. Now it's like little sampler plates at the grocery store or something. What do you think, people who prep communion? Can we do a full meal every week? Maybe we just should. They shared a meal, and Jesus said, this feast is for your heart as well as your bodies." So I want you to read with me his words in John chapter 6, talking about this meal, prophesying it. And I want you to think about the words of Christ. Later on in the, in the New Testament letters, I think it's Paul, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Like Jesus' words are our life. That's, that's it. Whatever he says we want, because it's so good. There isn't another good. There's no other good. He's the only good. It's so good. And in John chapter 6, he's predicting this. And what do people do? They just walk away. Like, the stakes are too high, Jesus. I can't understand it. What you're saying disturbs and bothers me. And so I'm out of here. So I think what um, I'm going to do, since it's right near 12, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. So I can read this while we're passing out the elements. Maybe musicians come forward and even get ready to lead us in a song. We can pray at the end. 
but I'm going to give you the sneak preview of where we're going. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. Jesus said, I have spoken to you words of life. And the disciples said, where else should we go? You have the words of life.